0: Hello, and thank you for joining uh, the FreightWaves Net Zero Summit on sustainability and freight transportation. I'm Mike Bowden, I'm an analyst and market expert here at FreightWaves, and I'm joined today by Josh Raglin. Josh is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Norfolk Southern. Norfolk Southern is one of the U.S. uh, Class One uh, railroads, and Josh was appointed this role a little over a year ago in uh, March of 2020. Previously, he was the general manager of facilities and has led a number of the company's projects related to conservation and sustainability. Josh, thank you for joining me today. Hey, it's great to be with you, uh, Mike, and happy Earth Day. Josh, can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to pursue that role within Norfolk Southern as chief sustainability officer after having you know other positions inside the organization? Um, you've been in that role for about a year. How have you spent your time during that past year and what would you hope ultimately like to accomplish in that role?
1: You know, I was really fortunate to start working with our chief sustainability officer going back to 2007 when we first established our program. And uh, we had a lot of traction and uh, it was great just being involved in spreading the message of sustainability across the company. This year, last year, has been really uh, engaging, should I say, engaging with all the stakeholders at Norfolk Southern, uh, you know, across the company as we interweave sustainability in our decision making at the department level, and engaging with our investors engaging with our customers, so really utilizing a lot of the previous contacts that I'd made throughout the company to uh, to take our message of sustainability even further. Uh, you know, a lot of the experiences I've gained uh, through such things as ecological restoration, forested ecosystems, endangered species management, um, carbon projects, a lot of those things that I can take to the next level at Norfolk Southern.
0: That's great. Um, and when I think about you know the, the class one railroads is and, and think about sustainability there, you often you know put that in in context of you know other surface transportation. And then you know the railroads are certainly you know more fuel efficient relative to truck. And um, you know, can you think about uh the, the where the most opportunity lies in terms of improving the efficiency of a railroad operation? Is it uh you know, upgrading equipment or you know, improving, you know, terminal operations or, or, or where do you see the, the most sort of low-hanging fruit there? You know, the railroads, we have a great sustainability story as in just an industry.
1: You know, we've made so much progress on fuel efficiency uh, going back to 1980. You know, we've almost doubled our fuel efficiency since then. And uh, we're getting better. You know, every year there's new technologies coming out. Um, You know, there's not probably a lot of low-hanging fruit left, but we're making a lot of incremental change every year. You know, Norfolk Southern just last year alone improved our fuel efficiency 5% through a number of different uh, categories, a number of different ways we're getting there. Um, But there's still opportunity in the future, and the railroads are going to continue to challenge um, our own own selves as far as fuel efficiency goes. And we're going to challenge the manufacturers as well, because we really depend on them to provide that next level of technology that we need, in particular, to decarbonize.
0: That's great. and. What, what do you think the, the the industry is headed? Where do you think the industry is headed in terms of uh, sustainability? Like, what is really a sustainable you know railroad? Is it all the way that's you know carbon neutral or something close to that? But, you know, how do you think about that?
1: You know, Mike, I think of it as being a solution for our customers now. You know, because right now we can help our customers reduce their emissions up to seventy five percent just through modal shift, and so that right there is a superpower. You know, that doesn't take technology to do that. That just it takes working with our customers and we're doing that. We're doing that on a proactive basis, working with our customers to convert product from road to rail. So that's the first way we're gonna do it right there. You know, secondly, of course, there's a lot of pilot projects occurring in the rail industry, uh, various fuel related sources, uh, you know, renewable diesel, it offers a lot of opportunities there. The problem is capacity. There's not enough capacity in that market is not going to be in the near term. Most of that's going to California due to their low carbon fuel standard. But I think longer term, that's a, that's going to be an opportunity for us. Um, you know, I think hydrogen, you know, long term, if we really think about how do you decarbonize freight transportation? Um, hydrogen has, has been doing that in the passenger rail segment for, for several years now, mostly over in Europe. Um, they'll assume that some of the new pilot projects coming out, um, some of the announcements by some of the OVMs uh, it has a potential. You know, there's there are challenges. There's definitely challenges of hydrogen. If you look at the density, you know, the energy, if you look at having to have a tender uh, behind the locomotive. Um, but it's a possibility long term.
0: With hydrogen or some of those other uh, alternative fuels, how long do you think it will be before we see those being adopted by the class one rail, railroads in in large numbers? I think part of the challenge there is that locomotives are very long lived assets. It's not like a truck that you need to replace every every few years. Yeah, you're
1: definitely right there. I mean, just the class ones alone, I think, own around 27,000 locomotives. So how long does it take to change out a fleet? So it's definitely going to have to be something that is uh, – you're not changing out the units. You're just refurbishing the units, which is something that Norfolk Southern has been doing for a number of years. So I think if you—if the cost works out to where you can actually some change over um, to hydrogen technology using the existing locomotive platforms – Um, I think that's a lot more realistic from a capital expenditure standpoint. You know, from a fueling standpoint, uh, how do you change out that fueling infrastructure? You know, diesel, you know, we've got over 49 fueling stations on Norfolk Southern in 22 states. How do you scale out that infrastructure change? Um, You know, not saying it's not possible. It's just one of the challenges. And then you've got the shared assets. You know, whatever route we go, the other roads have to go as well.
0: Which uh, corridor, freight corridor, should I should I watch, you know, closest um, for conversion from truck to rail? We have all this data that you know says very specifically, you know, you know intermodal volume and 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 truck volume on on corridors. But which do you think there's there's the most opportunity on on your network? As far as the volume
1: uh, related corridors go, you're going to be looking at you know Atlanta, Chicago, and um, you know Chicago across to the Northeast to New Jersey. You know those are the high volume corridors that offer the most opportunity for. For, um, you know, over-the-road conversions, but also particular, uh, you know, fuel adaptations as well.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the specific actions that that Norfolk Southern has taken? You've touched on this a little bit, but I just wanted to understand some of the specific things that Norfolk Southern is doing maybe in in, in certain locations, you know, throughout your network. I think uh, just uh, focusing on locomotives in general, Mike, you know, the the DC
1: to AC conversions has really uh, helped us in fuel efficiency and in power. You know, those conversions have allowed us to uh, downsize our fleet. You know, traditionally, you know, um, two AC units can replace three DC units. It um, increases horsepower slightly, increases uh, fuel efficiency. Uh, we've You know, we're going to accomplish over 500 of those by the end of the year. And that program has been going ongoing since 2016. You know, on the energy management front, we've had almost 100% of our road locomotives now equipped with some form of energy management technology, uh, which allows us significant energy savings. And we're rolling out additional software upgrades to Smart Planner HPT. Uh, you know, traditionally it was a manual process for horsepower per ton, uh, so you really didn't have a, a way to control manu- or to control the uh, remaining locomotives in the consist. Smart Planner HPT is going to do that for us automatically. So on a route that's, uh, you know, once you get up to speed, you may not need those trailing locomotives. And so, smart planer HPT can actually take down the, the horsepower of those locomotives, and in some cases, completely idle those. So that technology is rated by the EPA for an additional five uh, percent reduction or improvement in fuel efficiency. And that's just a couple of the, the opportunities that we're undertaking on the locomotive front.
0: Yeah, that's impressive. With with all the advancements that can be made to fuel efficiency, I mean, you think of railroads as being this. You know very old you know industry and you're still using steel uh you know track and steel wheels, but you know there's within that there's a lot that can be done in terms of improving you know the efficiency of um you know the equipment of of um you know driving the equipment more efficiently you know et cetera um you know I wanted to have you describe for us the announcement that you're making for 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 earth day um you know we saw the announcement today for earth day just wanted to 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 hear from you
1: yeah thank you for that opportunity you know being that it is Earth day. Uh, norfolk southern we would want to make the announcement here with you mike that we are committing to these science-based targets initiatives so we will be uh, signing a commitment letter we've already done that and uh, we will be over the next few months developing our targets submitting those to the science-based Target initiative uh, for validation and expecting to have those publicly released later this year so with our commitment our industry the class ones in particular have all committed to science-based targets and I think that's significant. You know, if you look at our industry, there is no other industry out there that is leading in that regard. You know, and so we're already providing the low carbon economy, and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to drive efficiency. Uh, and at the same time, we're going to challenge uh, the OEMs. You know, the next five years, you know, there's more of a clear path there. What does it look like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, as we look at these uh, these targets? And so we're gonna need some assistance in that, in that regard, uh, but we're challenging ourselves and as an industry, I think we're challenging other sectors.
0: What was the, the driver behind that decision and are, is there a lot of investment that needs to be made in your facilities or equipment in order to, uh, to meet those standards?
1: You know, I think the driver overall for the rail industry was to recognize that we're already providing low carbon economy. We're gonna to continue to provide efficiency and to recognize that climate change is real and we have a role to play there. And so whatever we can do to help to decarbonize, because at the end of the day, our emissions are our customers' emissions. So how can we go out and help our customers lower their emissions? So part of it was driven by customers, you know, expectations of our customers. You know, for most manufacturers and retailers, a significant portion of their emissions are contracted transportation. And so we're going to do our part to help our customers uh, to decarbonize their shipments.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I wanted to ask you about those customers. You know, I assume that a lot you have a lot of customers that are coming to you and want you know more sustainable solutions within their supply chain. And um, you know, part of the reason why someone wouldn't do intermodal before is is it is a, typically a slower service, maybe a little bit less time definite than than, than highway. Are, are you seeing? You know, a lot of customers go to, you know, intermodal, you know, for that sustainability benefit, um, you know, and maybe elevating that over the the fastest possible service levels.
1: Yeah, Mike, there definitely is a trend that way. Just since I've been in this position the last year, the number of our existing customers that inquire about emissions. They want to know what their emissions are on Norfolk Southern, but they also want to know what they avoided. What did they avoid by shipping that product via rail? And they're looking at other lanes. They're looking at truck lanes right now. And uh, we're even seeing in some RFPs where they're wanting to know what would my emissions be if I ship this product via rail and how much would I be avoiding? Um, So I think that's only, that trend is uh, really picking up, steam, and I think it's gonna continue to do so, uh, particularly as more people, more of our customers set targets around their emissions. So once you commit to science-based targets, if over 40% of your emissions are in your scope three, which would be contracted transportation, then you have to set a goal around those as well. So at Norfolk Southern, we we know right now that over 25% of our customers have, they publicly report to CDP, which means they have carbon reduction goals. So we're definitely targeting those customers for future conversions because we can help them and be part of that solution.
0: That's great. Um, within supply chains, do you think there's going to be, um, you know, a shift in in port market share as a result of, you know, customers ultimately wanting to, um, you know, have more sustainable supply chains. I mean, you would think that, uh, you know, all water routes from Asia through the Panama Canal to the East Coast would be a more fuel efficient, environmentally friendly solution than, say, going through the port of LA Long Beach for freight that's destined for Eastern consumption centers. Do you you think that that's going to be a trend we're going to see? I think it's a trend we're already seeing. And I think it's a trend that's going to continue to pick up,
1: you know, the you want to go the shortest distance between two, two points, you know, you want to do a straight line. And so if that means bringing ships around to the East Coast and, uh, you know, the Eastern ports are prepared for that. They're preparing for the larger container ships. A number of them are already able to take on those ships. And so I think you're going to see the port business align with the regions of the, the U.S. that that product is doing.
0: That's good. Another question I wanted to ask is on refrigerated intermodal. That's been an area that has lagged, you know, dry goods. It's, you know, more service intensive, but it does seem like there's a big opportunity there considering where uh, most agriculture products are grown. You think a lot in the Central Valley of, you know, California, a lot of that's consumed thousands of miles away in someplace like New York or Chicago or Atlanta. Um, how do you see refrigerated intermodal you know, participating in the, the broader intermodal um, you know, segment in the coming years? You know, we're definitely
1: seeing the demand in that space, um, you know, and as, as we think about long haul
0: truck and we think about
1: sustainability, you know, the thing that we have to have for that to work for NS and work for, you know, the customers is the uh, product delivery. You got to have the reliability. You know, you can't have that, you know, that product being delayed a day or two days. So, until we can get to the point where we've got consistent, reliable service, um, it's going to be hard to compete in that market. But I think we will. We'll get to that point. Uh, but we've got to have the delivery schedule that those customers expect.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have a container of food spoil um, because uh, there was some issue with terminal congestion or, or something like that. Um, just want to also wanted to ask you, I guess, with intermodal, I mean, we've seen a, a tremendous amount of growth. In the you know sense, about the middle of last year, um, but if, you know a lot of that was related to the elevated level of imports. A lot of that was related to a very tight you know truckload market. Um, but before that, you go back to the previous few years, there really you know hasn't been or was not during that period of time a lot of intermodal growth. And um, you know some people attribute that to the railroads focusing on you know operating ratio, maybe not pricing their service sufficiently below truckload in order to attract that that freight. You know, how do you think those um, those trends, uh, you know, happen going forward? And, and maybe when the dust settles with 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 COVID, do you think intermodal can get back to being sort of the growth area in in railroading that it once that it once was? Yeah, we are highly
1: focused on intermodal. We, we've invested significantly in our own intermodal franchise. We have over 50 terminals. We operate in the eastern United States. You know, congestion is going to continue to be an issue on highways. Um, you know, intermodal is definitely the growth engine that we're investing in. We're shipping around 4 million containers a year and uh, that's only gonna go higher. I mean, we're gonna continue to take, um, you know, loads from the highway, convert those loads with reliable service, with targeted service to specific customers, um, with good pricing. You know, good pricing for the value of, of what they're getting for that service. Because at the same time, they're not just buying logistics they're buying sustainability with every single shipment, you know, you're reducing your emissions, you know, around 60% for every load that you convert over to rail. And that's becoming more of a factor that we're seeing in the, in the marketplace.
0: Which customer categories is most, uh, is most ripe for conversion from, you know, truck to intermodal. And then is there also an opportunity to convert some, um, you know, truckload business to, to rail carload business? You know, I think
1: as far as the customers more interested in conversions or let's let's say this, interested in lowering their emissions, they seem to be more European-based companies that are really focused in right now on reducing their emissions. I think if you look at product categories, it's stuff that's less time-sensitive. You know, it's Kraft Macaroni and Cheats. It's ketchup. It's product that has a doesn't have to be there uh, in three or four days. And there are a lot of goods moving around the U.S. right now at a time sensitive level that probably don't need to be. And so we're really stretching our supply chain right now. We're stretching trucking, um, you know, and you're seeing that with with the rate uh, request, you're seeing that with the drivers. Reported. So if anything, we're needing to rethink our supply chains. And a lot of our customers are doing that right now. And rail can be a part of that.
0: What do you think the biggest capacity constraints are in intermodal as you see them right now? I mean, I mean this year this has been such a strange year. We've seen you know huge congestion issues in the at the ports, particularly the West Coast ports, but you also think of there's not a tremendous amount of supply of domestic intermodal containers. Maybe terminals are getting, you know, close to needing investment there. Where do you see are, are the biggest capacity constraints? Uh, all of the above.
1: <laughs> I would say uh you know definitely going to be in containers, definitely going to be in chassis. Um, the terminals, I think we're doing a really good job keeping up with our terminals. We're making significant investment in those terminals, uh, expanding those terminals. We have a number of projects ongoing this year, uh, and we're looking at new opportunities as well. So, the main thing that we've done at our terminals is to increase efficiency. We can get many more trucks through there in a given day than what we could historically through our investments in technology. And so, that adds capacity uh, at those terminals. But at the end of the day, you got to have chassis. You gotta have containers.
0: And, and how do you think about collaboration with other Class One railroads? Do, does there need to be more collaboration for things like, you know, inter, interchange agreements and, and and those things for you know some of the longer haul intermodal in order to extend the the reach that maybe the customer wasn't receiving you know, before? Uh, you know,
1: we're always collaborating with Class Ones. In fact, over fifty percent of our product touches another railroad. You know, and so we have ongoing engagements with the other roads. Particularly in uh, regards to intermodal, we share a lot of the same customers. Those customers have expectations of us, and they expect us to collaborate. They, you know, they are looking at us. They are demanding that, and so uh, I don't see that going away. We're having to uh, meet their demands because we know who their customers are. In lots of cases, it's uh, it's the big VCs, it's the big retailers, and so they carry a big stick. And so we're going to continue to improve our service uh, in those areas, particularly in the area of premium and intermodal.
0: That's exciting. I think it's a lot of opportunity, you know, when that service improves to, to when it gets more truck like it really Im- improves the, the entire value proposition. Um, and I think it's going to be huge for the environmental you know, impact of the entire uh, North American uh, supply chain. Um, Josh, what do you think are the next steps now for, you know, Norfolk Southern sustainability, you know, plan, you know, how do you plan to spend the next, you know, a couple of years, maybe before and after sort of the dust settles with, with, with COVID? And, and how do you see maybe other modes, whether it's truck, the the ports, you know, maybe even barge sort of fitting into to that picture? You know, I think a lot of the focus
1: right now for me is engagement. Uh, and engagement, a lot of that right now is internal. You know, we've uh, relaunched our Corporate Sustainability Advisory Council that has representatives from multiple departments. And, uh, and it's not just a council that meets quarterly. These are the ambassadors for sustainability in every single one of those groups, whether that be in, in sourcing or in marketing or in transportation. And it's really thinking about how do we ingrain sustainability as part of our value? You know, and I'll, I'll compare it to safety. You know, if you think about the safety culture how the railroads in general started developing that in the 1980s. Safety now is just a part of our industry. It's just who we are. It's who our employees are. And I see sustainability going that same way. I think there's a lot of things that we do um, internally as a company that we may not regard as safety or as sustainability. And so what I do as part of my messaging is I go out and capture those stories. I go out and, and identify projects, individuals that are doing things that are they're great for the economics, they're great for the environment, and they're great for social. And we highlight those things. We highlight those internally uh, through our um, through our online social platforms. Uh, we highlight those in our corporate responsibility report. And so it's really about engaging our employees first, making them realize what sustainability is and being a leader in that regard. You know, and secondly, it's gonna be on the customer side. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of our customers are just now starting their sustainability and their ESG journey. You know, so we're assisting them in that regard. Um, you know, many of the, them just appointed CSOs in the last couple of years, you know, so they are reaching out to us. They're wanting advice and, uh, and we're going to assist them in that regards. You know, we've been a leader in this field and we're going to continue to work with our customers. Uh, you know, our investors, they expect sustainability. You know, that's a highlight, you know, talking with in shareholder engagement calls. They want to know what we're doing, particularly in the area of emissions. You know, that is our largest environmental footprint. You know, over ninety percent of all our emissions come from locomotive diesel, and uh, we, we're making good traction in that area, and we're going to continue to do
0: so. So it sounds like pretty much every stakeholder, you know, has an interest in, in seeing the, the railroad run sustainably, um, and also just the sustainability of the supply chains overall um, in, in North America.
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing that in the consumer base. You know, if you look at the consumers' habits, particularly millennials. Um, you know, they're wanting to purchase things that are from sustainability. Well, guess what? Those same millennials are now logistics managers at companies, you know, that are now starting to make those decisions. And, uh, you know, sustainability is becoming one of those factors. It's not just, you know, the cost, the time, the convenience. They're now saying, well, how is sustainability a factor? How can we lower emissions by shifting Not all products, not all products destined to rail, but this part of the business to rail. And uh, you know, consumers' decisions are going that route, and I think uh, the younger generation is going that route. So I think it's definitely going to be an advantage uh, for rail going forward.
0: That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of um, you know initiatives uh, you know within the railroad, and you're doing a lot there on on sustainability. Um, I think that's all the time we have, but I definitely want to thank you. You know, thanks, Josh, for your time uh, today, and I hope you, uh, every all the viewers, continue to enjoy the FreightWaves Net Zero Summit.